There are four types of love in the Bible, eros, storge, phileo, and agape. They each correspond to a different connotation of the same word, which is love. Now God says he is love in 1 John 4 when he says God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now how can there be so many types of love then? Why would a perfect God make this so complicated? Well, if by complicated you mean intentional, then yeah, it is complicated. And I would say name one thing in life that isn't complicated. However, we do not have to get distracted by the complexities when it comes to God. One will find, however, that they love to search the mysteries of God. And that, my listeners, is the inspiration we are seeking today. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all doing amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know that this is a day late. Don't hate me. Um, We have some technical difficulties. So this morning, my goal is to talk about Christian love. And how it is so unique. So Christian love, which is my focus of the show, right, is different from other loves. As it's unconditional in its agape form. And there's different forms of love. And we're going to go over that today in its entirety. And love, ultimately, is the example of being a disciple. Right? Not my words, but Jesus' words. Jesus said in John 13.35 that, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? He didn't say, you'll know my disciples because they look nice or um, because they have lots of money or no money or because they make people feel special. Nope. He said because of how followers of Christ love. And that's very key here. Jesus didn't mean just any love. And that's where the complexities come in. Why? Because we say that we love everything. How many people do you know that just, they just love everything? I just love the way that worked. Like, we love the way that our... Our friends make us laugh. We love that that cute puppy video on YouTube. We loved how that person explained that thing to us. You know, like you watch your favorite show online. Like, I just love how he talked. That is why God distinguishes and makes examples for different types of love. Doesn't he get us? He, he knew that we would need such explanations, right? But why is Christian love unique, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Because it's sacrificial. That's the key. For those who have read the Bible, you can attest to how much sacrifice is mentioned in the Word of God. Actually, it's written 218 times as just the word sacrifice. And that doesn't even account for different forms of speech like sacrifice or sacrificing, you know, like those past tense words. Christian love involves giving, sacrificing, providing for. Our example is Jesus Christ who died for our sins. Our example is God sending down his only son to die for our sins therefore giving eternal life to those who call upon his name and washing away their sins, which is, thank God for that, right? God gave us the world, everything in it, the air we breathe, the mathematics that prove its existence, all things. And that is love, guys. That's love. Therefore, we as Christians are called to give as well, and that is what makes us unique as opposed to other like religions in the world and then other things in different facets of like a secular life. So... Let's go a bit further. Furthermore, Christian love is demonstrative. What do I mean? 1 John 3.18 states, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Right? 
And Christians are called to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. The Bible tells us that works without faith are dead and vice versa. That faith without works is dead, right? This isn't a contradictory. It is evident in these statements that we must act upon our faith by demonstrably serving God and act upon our works by believing in God. It is a balance that we must reach in our own lives. Furthermore, Christ not only spoke with power, capital P, but he acted with power. He taught with not only his words, but his actions, like when he would heal the blind or, or heal the, seat, the sick. Sorry. And also, not only with his actions, right, but with his words, he would go in and then he would teach in the temple. Not just doing works, but also teaching and teaching people to believe. And like he would reward faith, like the lady in the marketplace that was a free bleeder. He even washed the feet of his disciples, thereby showing that we are to serve others, to sacrifice, and to act upon our faith. For a final note on this, Christian love seeks. And this is key here. It's not a love that is withheld until the moment is right. No, no, no. That's not how God works. Our love must seek others and is to be given immediately. That's that agape love. That doesn't mean that you have to like that person or you have to be their best friend. No, no. Love doesn't simply apply instant adoration. I'll go into that later on. But we must frame ourselves in light of Romans 5.8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? God was already paving the way for future believers by wiping away sin from everyone preemptively. If you do not believe in God, trust me, he is ready for you, which means the time is now. So let's go through our first love. Our first love that I will mention is Eros. Eros, quite simply, is erotic love. Now, what does that mean? My pastor gave an intro to this by stating how even mentioning that word in church creates disquiet or brings to mind things better left out of that setting. I would say no. We need to discuss it, not only because it's one of the four loves of the Bible, but because it has context for its use. And my pastor would agree, right? What do I mean? Well, the use of it is in marriage. God's first institution is marriage, and as well it should be, right? And that's where Eros really fits into this whole equation. Allegorically, there are many parallels to why marriage is the first institution. And we will cover this on a later show. But in synopsis, essentially, God is married to us. And the emphasis to how important it is to be one with God is shown in how God frames marriage by stating, by stating that the husband and wife are of one flesh. However, why is Eros meant to be established in marriage? And what does it mean? Well, let's go to the Song of Songs in the Bible, an entire poem and book in the Bible oriented towards showing love towards one's spouse. To God, we are his bride. He feels this love to us just as we are meant to feel it toward our spouse. It is an intimate love meant to be special and shared between lovers. It's a very unique love. This is not to say right, that Eros love alone will sustain a marriage, but it is an important aspect. Even further, God came down as a man to die for his bride. Right? And then let me back up right quick. When I mention that God has this love for us, what I mean is you can bet that God has your picture on his fridge, that God has your picture in his wallet, that he's constantly thinking of your well-being, and that, he's constantly, and that he constantly adores you. That's what I mean by that, right? Let's go back to where I was before. Some may highlight their own erroneous views on the Bible, being sexist from a, ver 
from a verse like this, right? That that a woman must serve her husband, and that's like all they hear, right? So pe- people will mention the verse that speaks about a woman serving her husband in Ephesians 5.22, but fail to see the next couple of verses. This is the key. Namely, Ephesians 5.25 that mentions husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church even so much as dying for her. I say that both sexes have an equal dispensation of involvement as God clearly heaps up responsibility on the husband, yes. Not so that he can lord over her though, but so that he serves her as she serves him, especially serving her while she is the only gender that can provide life. The gift of life is to be cherished, and therefore so is the female who can provide that gift. Right? And it's very important to remember that this Eros love is is meant for husband and wife because that's what keeps the bond together. That's what keeps the bond close. You can have friendship and you can have, they can be your best friend and they can be, you know, part of your family. But that Eros love is what really cements the love, right? That's really, that's what creates the children. That's what provides life. And since it's life providing, it is crucially kept in the marriage, right? Our next love is going to be Storge love. C.S. Lewis describes Storge love as affectionate love or a love that one shows towards one's children or pets, right? In fact, Storge can accompany Eros, right? Those two can work together, and that one's Eros love for another can be built upon Storge affection. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, you love your wife as also part of your family as well, right? So, Storge involves familial affections, and we can see this in the Bible as God said to Israel, Can a woman forget her nursing child, or lack compassion for the son of her womb? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's in Isaiah 49, 15. Or in Psalms 27, 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And in Exodus 4, 22, God says, Israel is my firstborn son. That all are storge loves, right? This is a love that can be referenced when one is considering a friend versus considering a family member, or even one who is a brother to you as I have my buddy Joe. Like, for instance, you can have a friend who's considered as a family member, right? Joe, to me, is loved with a storge love, a love with a different inference than phileo love mentioned later on. And that's key because the love that you have towards your family is oftentimes very different from your friends because it's oftentimes more or less an, an unconditional love. You know, you you know that that's your uncle, so you need to love your uncle. You know, you, you don't need to voluntarily dislike your uncle. Whereas like with a friend, you, know, you, you can kind of turn off a friend, but you can't really turn off your family. They're always going to be there for you or against you. But either way, they're going to be there. So the next love is arguably the most important love, and that is agape love, right? It is vital that Christians understand and seek out agape love. Why? Agape love is a love that is unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless. This was the first love that I was mentioning back in the intro. This is a love that transcends emotions and encompasses the willpower of a person, saying, yes, I will love you. One could also term this as charity, where one doesn't expect anything in return. Agape love is actually mentioned the most out of all the loves. Agape is mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament, right? Agape love comes straight from God in that it embodies his love for us. God is love, and his expression of agape love isn't just a metaphor. It is literally who he is, right? Therefore, when we approach this type of love and give it to someone, it is vital and healing in nature because it comes from God himself. 
Matthew 22, 37-39, also known as the greatest commandments. Those little verses there. Instruct us to agapow God and our neighbors. While Matthew 5, 43-46 instructs us to even agapow our enemies. Now what does that agapow mean? That's the agape love. It instructs us to love our God and our neighbors and our enemies with that selfless, sacrificial love that God shows to us every second of our lives, right? 1 Corinthians 13 lays out a list of things that define agape, saying that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it is not even self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now that is a beautiful, beautiful example to what agape love actually is, right? Our next love is going to be phileo love, right? This is a a targeted friendship. Phileo love is the last mentioned love. This love is akin to a brotherly love, not like your literal brother, but a brother or sister in Christ. You do not choose your family, the saying goes, but you choose your friends. To separate this from Storger love, we need to look at David and Jonathan in the Bible. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. That's 1 Samuel 18, 1-3. And that's key because we do often forget um, to follow the Bible when it comes to certain examples. Your friends directly influence who you are, how you talk, and what you kind of look at. So it's important to really choose your friends with care. Well, here we see that the affection that David and Jonathan had towards one another caused them to create a covenant with one another in a joint ownership of their friendship, right? They're choosing to be friends and they're making it concrete. Like they're thinking deeply about that connection with one another. That's that phileo love. My distinction in this would be that my love for my best friend Joe eclipses the phileo and flows into the storge due to our connection in years together and by mutual choice. This is an extreme case of the two being close, obviously. My love for my for my few friends that live near us would be a better example of phileo love, whereas storge would be my cousins, brothers, sisters, and parents. So that's key. So my wife has a really close friend and she has a husband, and the husband and I are friends, right? We have a targeted phileo love for one another. Um, and that's the key that we have to give here is that it's good to know these distinctions because if not, then you begin to put love on all the different categories of your life, whereas you need to really know what you're what you're getting into when you when you have these kind of loves, right? So all this can be so confusing. Why can't we just say love and be done with it? Well, because our intentionality matters, like I was just talking about. For instance, if someone we know offends us, it is of vital importance to gather their intentions because without knowing them, we will only assume that we see like what we see like on the face of the matter, right? So recognizing the types of love can help us prioritize ourselves. Furthermore, the Bible speaks about an agape love towards our friends and enemies, but phileo love is for friends. See, each has a purpose and it helps us to not only learn scripture regarding this, but it helps us to learn psychology as well, which is Again, like another proof of God that he uses psychology like in the way that he does. So let me again go back to intentionality. Intentionality is important because if your kid comes up to you, right, and he stops on your foot, it's kind of like a weird example, but, and you're like, you don't look at your kid, smack him in the back of the head, like, 
what are you doing? No, no. You ask your kid, kid, why did you do that? And then a kid will answer in many different ways. Like one way might be, hey, I actually was going for the cockroach at your foot and I missed. Well, that's sweet. You know, um, aim better next time. And then smack him in the back of the head. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, or the kid can say, hey, you know, I just don't like you. Well, knowing that intentionality is very, very important because that, that determines the repercussions that are involved in that, right? That's why intentionality is important, which is also important in law. And it's, it's important across all spectrums of, of human life. We can't ignore intentionality. In fact, being more intentional in our lives can reap so many more rewards than just going through life blindly and just adjusting to what pops up in front of you, right? So why did I mention psychology? Like why psychologically is this stuff important? Because it can be exhausting for ourselves if we were to only consider one type of love as the only type when dealing with the world, right? So for instance, imagine if you took all people under the auspices of just storge love or phileo love. Those are very, very involved, right? And they require much of us spiritually and emotionally. I know that I spend time with Joe and my family getting to know them, praying together, engaging with one another, or even like with friends, unloading our burdens and sharing experiences, that is not something that you want to do with every single person. That's just not going to happen. You would quickly be burned out. Considering agape love and its importance, we can see examples of this in the Bible and, and therefore apply it to our lives, right? So why do I mention that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life, John 3.16. Every person on earth is a child of God, giving them the birthright and blessings of being a child of royal birth. This is key here. Loved by the infinite creator of this earth. A heavenly father who loved you individually enough to create this earth filled with flowers, trees, you know, birds, animals, and every other beautiful aspect of this world just for you. He loved each of us enough to send Jesus Christ to atone for our sins so we can return to live with him for eternity. Sounds good, right? He did this knowing that we would be imperfect and have weaknesses, but he loved us that much anyways. That is agape love. And so that's the kind of love we need to show all of the human beings rather than the other three mentioned, because if we if you if, if we view it any other way, we're gonna get just get burnt out. We're gonna we're gonna constantly have our emotions hurt and we're gonna wear our heart on our sleeves. And it's important to wear Christ on our sleeves, not your heart. The Good Samaritan mentioned in Luke 10 shows us a good Samaritan who helped a man who had been robbed and beaten on the road, right? So he had healed this man, he put him on his donkey, bought him a room in an inn, paid for all expenses for the man, you know, really got the man back going. That's agape love. Agape love is the love we show for all people due to being made in the image of God. It's important to remember this because we serve each other. We're meant to. We're meant to give our time, to give our effort to give our hearts. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's about giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. Every love has its purpose and every love has its time. Therefore, learn them and pray about how you, how you can be more intentional with your love and not just in your love, honestly, but in your life in general. Now, why did I mention initially that Christian love is unique? The image of Jesus dying on the cross, really, is what makes Christianity unique. See. The Pharisees and the Romans sought to kill Christ, and, and they succeeded, right? Throughout Jesus' life, we saw him love others no matter what their situation. He would even die with sinners rather than the Pharisees so that 
he could love on them, right? Not only this, but after Jesus' sacrifice, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, thus, thus providing us eternal life. So while the Romans and the Pharisees may have sought to kill him, all they did was just give the rest of us eternal life, which is, again, an amazing sacrifice from God to send down his only son, right? Through that ultimate expression of love, dying for every single sin of every single person, God showed that perfect example of Christian love, especially the agape love, and how and how it's unique and awe-inspiring in its ability to transcend empires, evil plots, and death itself. What's even better, you wield that power by the Holy Spirit that is in you if you're saved. You have a direct line to the God of the universe who is that love. I mean, how great is that? Let me keep going here. Wes McAdams, a pastor in Plano, Texas, had this to say on biblical love. He said, It seems to me most of the metaphors in the New Testament that describe our walk with Christ have to do with relationship rather than rule keeping. <laughs> and that's totally true. What does this mean? We can get so bogged down with following rules and viewing life from a pharisaical and legalistic view that we forget to love. Having respect for one another and loving with an understanding of agape love will do far more for that person than following a textbook example of treating them right. Bunny ears, treating them right. That same aforementioned pastor made another statement regarding this. He said, a couple who primarily thought of their marriage in terms of rule keeping wouldn't have a very healthy marriage. It sounds like he's speaking Proverbs here. Look, if my wife Kayla and I viewed our household duties or our love with a checklist in mind, we would be... I mean, we'd be working on the checklist and not our love, right? We, we would never be getting to us. We'd be just completing that external list. How about this? I make the time to do those dishes, to put up those clothes, to fix dinner, or any other tasks done in love for her, expecting nothing in return, but hoping for her to feel honored and special. You see, I am hoping for something from her. I'm hoping that she feels the respect that I'm showing her. Not that she'll feel, not that she'll feel it for my sake, but that she'll feel it for her sake. I'll do as much as I can for her because she deserves it in my eyes, right? And I love to make her feel like the most wonderful bride in all the world because she is, right? But that requires effort. It's easy to think, man, she hasn't done anything around the house even though I've been busting my butt or she hadn't thanked me once, which is never a problem because my super generous, awesome, super duper wife is thebomb.com. Either way, I love to serve God and God says to die for my wife and to love her as Christ loved the church. Therefore, I'll serve her all of my days. And that's just how that works. This isn't a checklist that I just mentioned. It's a relationship. That's not a textbook. It's how I choose to honor my wife. You will have your own way, but consult love, i.e. God, when you do it because he is the perfect example of how to treat one's spouse. These are all his mandates, not my mandates, not any kind of logic like created by man, but these are these are biblical mandates from heaven. Let's wind down. If you ever doubt the power of love, watch soldiers coming home from war online. For real. Watch as you tear up, as you get that lump in your throat and the burning in your eyes. Watch as you get chill bumps on your arms and you feel elated. That's the power of love, right? It's powerful. Capital P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L. How much more powerful then is the God who is love? Answer that one yourself. But honestly, go look at those videos. If, if they don't make you cry or feel some type of way, I'd pray about it because <laughs> they tear me up. I hope you have enjoyed the show. If so, you know, spread it to someone else and talk about it amongst your 
amongst yourselves. Debate, engage, love, and read about these topics. That, my friends, shows love towards God and each other when we talk about Him and His characteristics. I'm so appreciative that you guys take take you know take the time to really listen to the show and to take time out of your busy days to give me consideration. So I'm praying for all of you, and I just really appreciate that. My homework for you all is to write down each type of love that I mentioned, right? Also found and defined by C.S. Lewis online and categorize those in your own life by those types of love, right? You'll be amazed how you consider people to really put them in those categories. So take it a step further and write down how you can improve upon the love that you classified them under and reference that with scripture. This could be done easily by searching online for biblical references to the love that you have chosen, like Phileo. And then apply those verses to those people and watch yourself grow. So again, write down each, each one of the loves, um, put names by them, right? About how you classify them. And then search online for each type of love so you can fully get the, the definition of the love. And then write down how you can improve upon that love with that person. I feel like this will make all of us better people if we just do this in our lives more often to, to consider love, honestly, and to think about how powerful it is and, and to consider how it requires much of us but how it makes the world around us much better. All right. Have a blessed day and a week, everyone. Bye now.